A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is President Jimmy Carter, and I'm the focus of today's Mr. Mitchell History Podcast. You see, in the 1970s, China was viewed the way we view Kim Jong-un's North Korea today. That was almost seen as a mythical creature. But thanks to Dick Nixon and myself, China and America opened talks. Unfortunately, we might have set each other on collision for World War III. But PY is here to make you forget about that and think about ping pong instead. Gentlemen. Cam. Good morning. Have you seen on the news, did you see Paul Keating go off at the press club? I saw a headline yeah, that, like yeah. most things these days, I just see headlines. Actually, <laughs> it's really... You're like, no, nah, it's not Piers Morgan. Yeah, it's, it's, Meghan Markle. <laughs> it's really reflective of this current generation, Jake, that level of... Uh, yeah, of kind it's of, true. And I wish I had seen it now, but please enlighten me. The, the hard thing is like, this is my bread and butter. Like China policy is really kind of what I initially first built the channel around. And I saw Paul Keating at the press club... Or Ben Shapiro goes on Piers Morgan, and I clicked Ben Shapiro goes oh, on Piers oh, Morgan because how could you not? And again, it was just them talking about well, woke culture has gone too far. Yeah, and I was like, well, I- I'm in for all 40 minutes now. <laughs> it's tr- so yeah, but as soon as I have to like click a link, it's oh, <laughs> the barrier is too high. Yeah, it's like it has to be a really capturing headline to to get me in. To click a link. If it was like a video just on my feed, I'd watch that. Sure. It's just much more accessible. But yeah. What about if the link was the premier who saved Australia? Would you, <laughs> would you click that? <laughs> well, we're actually recording this. Speaking of premiers, we are recording this on election day for our state, New South Wales. Have you guys voted yet? Oh, exciting. I did. I went and pre-polled actually. I went Thursday night oh, um, so that yeah. I could skip the queues today. You didn't want to soak up the atmosphere? Yeah. Or? You look... Someone at work also mentioned that, that, that election day is sort of in and of itself an exciting event. So perhaps I've deprived myself of that, but. I don't subscribe myself to that. <laughs> to pre-polling or to so election the, day the, being the an event? That's like an event. Yeah. Okay. So and have you voted? Yeah, I voted also early, but ironically there was a queue ah. when I was. There was no queue for me yeah. this morning. Okay. I went to the little community hall just down the road. Yeah. But none of the big guns. You always know if you've gone to the wrong polling booth when the big guns aren't there. So mm. if the candidate isn't there, like, oh, man, I, I picked the wrong one. Because yeah. mm. we grew up with ScoMo. So we voted at our primary school. That's, well, that's where I've always voted. Yeah. And yeah. when I'd go with my parents, 
Yeah. ScoMo was always there. Mm. And you're like, yeah, we, we are the top end of town. We are the central <laughs> hub <laughs> of, of, of Cook. And then I went to this little community hall and it's just, it's, it's the poor old volunteers that mm. are kind of fifth or sixth on the pecking order of yeah. most importance in the inner circle. Anyway, today we are and talking about... I have one more question to ask, Ben. Mm. Are you the kind of guy that takes all the leaflets? Oh yeah, big time. Okay. Big time. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah, I'm so the same. I, I take them all. You avoid that confrontation. Yeah. And then you go and make your own decision in the booth. Okay. I would it's, do that for uni SRC. Like vote for the SRC. I would take <laughs> both flyers because I, I wanted to avoid confrontation. Mm. Yeah. So I'm I'm very much a pacifist like Ben. Yep. Yep. Nice. PY said before, I was chatting to him off air. PY said that he's a head down. <laughs> Straight for the polling booth. Don't give me oh, any wow. of your... Yeah, I wow. just kind of grunt at them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't voted that many times as well, so there's still yeah, there's time still to experiment of, different kind of... Yeah, ways to improve your game. Yeah, ways to take the leaflets or to deny the leaflets. Mm. I was yeah. also telling PYL there <laughs> one time when my dad was going in to vote. Now, my dad, just for context, he's, he's hardcore Sky News guy. Mm. Um, and he goes in to our, our, our voting booth. A Labor guy goes to give him the pamphlet and dad goes, get away from me, parasite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want your taxes. <laughs> uh, come on, dad. Yeah, I don't care which party it is. <laughs> he's a volunteer. He just believes in the cause. Yeah. And so... We're he, going to- he offended him. He offended him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare you? So, speaking of states, we are going to look at a war of, of nation states. We're going to look at China versus the USA. We're going to look at the historic relationship from the 1970s onwards. Basically, Paul Keating's argument that he was making at the press club was we need to be less hawkish on China. So, he actually was very critical of Anthony Albanese, more so than pretty much any prime minister of recent time. And basically he said, this is the worst labor decision in history. That was kind of Paul Keating's argument. Worst decision made by a labor government to, to continue with the AUKUS deal signed initially under Scott Morrison. I'm going to make a video on AUKUS this week. So that's coming out on Thursday, but it kind of opened the conversation to discussing, well, what should we think of China? Is China the kind of next big global threat to world peace should we kind of have a mediation approach to China or do we double down on actually kind of annoying them, offending them in the name of national security? And so that's kind of been the conversation that's, that, that, that's been happening. By, by conversation, I mean people just criticizing Paul Keating because no one wants to take China's side in Australia here. And so, so Paul Keating, is he arguing for a softer line on China? Absolutely. Yep. He's like, okay. don't sign AUKUS, don't get those nuclear subs. Because AUKUS is... Sorry, I feel like I'm going a bit misinformed, but it's it's some sort of threat against China. It's some sort of... So, AUKUS is the deal to have basically between Australia, the UK and Australia. It's kind of a, it's a defense cooperation Sorry, agreement. Australia, the UK and Australia. Australia, the UK <laughs> and America. It's a mutual cooperation agreement. And Joe Biden, the gentleman that he is, put US last because to bad show res- that he's first among respect. equals. Yep. What's actually happening is they're giving us nuclear power subs which will become effective in 2032. So we don't get those subs until 10 years time. Mm-hmm. And we ditched a deal with the French. Do you remember Macron being I really good in Zero? So we yeah. ditched a deal with the French to buy. Basically, we've got these subs called the Collins class subs. They're getting phased out for new ones. Under Turnbull, we're going to replace them with non-nuclear powered ones by the French. We then scrapped that deal when the French had spent hundreds of millions of dollars building those subs. 
to instead go to America instead and have those uh, nuclear powered subs. And so that's considered a military buildup in the Pacific area. Why are we doing this? Well, China's the clear subtext. Mm. This is a defensive action against the naval buildup of China. And so it's really got the conversation going of, is this actually a good idea or not? And Labor voters are really split. So I knew there, lib- was, I knew there was a bit more tension in our World Cup game against France. You could feel that. <laughs> 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 Man, that that's why Macron went to the World Cup to shake Mbappe's hand at the end. It was really... Yeah. <laughs> that's why Giroud didn't give his jersey to Jason Cummings. Oh. That's exactly why. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. International yeah. relations were... <laughs> yeah, he's loyal to his country. They, mm. was, they, they, they were so yeah. stitched up. Like Very mm. rarely as an Englishman will I ever defend the French... <laughs> they were royally screwed over <laughs> on that deal. But yeah, yeah, it's basically basically got us thinking, what should we think of China? And it's pretty clear that the US-China relationship is not in a good spot right now. Like it's pre- pretty mm. much as bad as it has been. Yeah, they're, I think they're again looking to ban TikTok, you know. That's how you know mm. things are really falling mm. apart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's the, the hill we're going to die on. The proxy for kind of China-US <laughs> relations. Now, we're going to go all the way back to the 1970s. In the 50s and the 60s, China was viewed as basically North Korea is today. It was this kind of mysterious Asian kingdom because Chinese Civil War, Mao Zedong wins, surprisingly, and America really thought it would be Mao's enemy, the KMT, who would go on to rule China. That was what they were thinking. That's what they thought would happen in the Civil War. But they didn't. And Mao Zedong won the Civil War against a guy called Chiang Kai-shek leading the KMT, who were the enemies of Mao. So KMT, so Chiang Kai-shek leading the KMT, he basically you know, uh, jog, jogs off to Taiwan and says, well, I'll just, I'll just govern China from Taiwan. We're still China. We're still the leaders of China. And this is still China. I'm still the head of the Chinese government, but I'm governing from Taiwan. And so Taiwan becomes its own independent thing. America backs Taiwan at the United Nations. Who represents China? Well, it's not Mao Zedong and the PRC. It's Chiang Kai-shek's Taiwan, otherwise known as the Republic of China. Mm. They're the leaders in the United Nations, the dead representatives of China. So in the 50s and the 60s, China was this mysterious kingdom that was pretty much like Kim Jong-un's North Korea in the sense that it was communist. It was a rogue regime, basically considered illegal by the rest of the world. Access to China was very limited and it was this kind of communist, weird communist cell that didn't even have the legitimacy that the Soviet Union had. And so the People's Republic of China was an enemy of America throughout the 50s and the 60s. The end of the 60s, things start changing. Now, in the 1970s, it's kind of known as the... as the foreign, you, did, you did Cold War in high school, right? Yeah. If I said detente... Mm. Detente. Detente? Yes. I don't recall detente. I remember the word. Does it mean like a time of peace? Yes. De-escalation. Well done. I had a student call it detente. And then the (laughs) poor students just ripped on him just like detente. (laughs) And so it's basically an era of kind of backing off conflict with the Soviet Union. So at the end of the 60s and early 70s indeed, we've got the Vietnam War. And that's kind of considered a proxy war. Basically, U.S. supporting the South against a communist Soviet-backed North. But things get a little bit dicey. And Richard Nixon, who's the president at the time, he has a national security advisor called Henry Kissinger. Mm. You heard of that guy before? I have, yes. Some mm. 
students in Australia studied him as a personality study for. Okay. Did yep. you do remember your personality study? Albert Speer. Speer. Yeah. Oh, that's. I, yeah, I also did Speer. Ah, uh, I think he's a bit boring, but. That's <laughs> oh yeah, I think yeah. in the in the sort of broader context of just the Nazi regime, he's kind of. You can be the architect. And so yeah, it's det- it's detente in the in the in the seventies. Now Nixon's kind of thinking, okay, we are in a sticky situation because we've got these two huge communist powers in the middle of Asia. We really communism isn't actually the enemy, and that's that's something I want to make really important. When it comes to the Cold War, it's not really a war against communism; it's a war against the Soviet Union for sphere of influence. That's much more important. At the end of the day, America is somewhat ambivalent towards the ideology of other countries. The reason why they're really pro-democracy is because democracy goes hand in hand with capitalism, which favors their business interests. There'd be plenty of disagreement, but that's my short analysis of what America's skin in the game is. Now, during the 60s, China and the Soviet Union broke up. (laughs) It was kind of literally, it's called the Sino-Soviet split. And that Mm. was a huge shock to the communist world. Probably much as much as Brangelina was... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Or you're Brad right. and I feel like Jennifer that's before that. Slightly. When was Brangelina? When did that end? 2016. I don't know why right. I know that. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was 2016. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, don't uh, know, I guess I didn't have my, my finger too much on the pole. Maybe <laughs> I just wasn't as invested as, as I should have been by the sounds of things. Yeah. I don't kids, know, Mr. What about Mr. the kids, Ben? What about the, what about the kids? <laughs> <laughs> to look after the kids. You're right. Well, and you're exactly. Right. In the communist world, right? It's like for North Korea, they're like, do I decide with mum or do I decide with dad? Like, that's so true. Yeah. It, yep. it's, it's actually so much like a family breakdown. Yeah. And so America seeks to capitalize on this. And so America's thinking, okay, Richard Nixon is like, China are now sort of enemies with the Soviet Union. They've had a huge falling out. Trade has massively slowed down between the two nations. There's been border skirmishes between the two. We could use this to our advantage here because it's not communism that's the enemy. It's the Soviet Union that's the enemy. So why not decide with a communist power in China and try and use them as leverage against the Soviet Union and to have a US ally right on the doorstep of the Soviet Union. Kind of basically, can we flip China in one swift move? Mm-hmm. Follow me so far. Yes. Nixon wants to flip China over and yeah. make it a US ally. Now, big issue. Nixon does not have dictatorial power over America. There's lots of lobbying interest groups that are very much pro-Taiwan that are around mm-hmm. in America at this time. What's the thinking behind those? Do they have a, like, why do they want, why do they like Taiwan so much? So America provided Taiwan with weapons. Again, the reason why China didn't just go and invade Taiwan. Like today or back then? No, back then. So the reason why Mao didn't invade Taiwan after the Chinese Civil War was Taiwan had American support and it would be way too tough for Mao to do a successful invasion. Yeah. So what's Taiwan, what are Americans' interest in Taiwan? Well, it's weapons manufacturers that are making a lot of money off of selling jets to Taiwan and off of selling weapons to Taiwan. They are really powerful in the Republican Party, especially. And so Nixon is kind of hamstrung a bit and he's like, okay, how can we flip China and not make it obvious? And we need to do this behind Congress's back because if Congress gets, gets wind of this, the lobby groups that are really powerful in Congress will force them to make a law that kind of ships even more to Taiwan and it will derail all the negotiations. It's quite Obi-Wan negotiations needed to be short Mm, yeah good so how do you do this how can you get into china well what mao zedong's did is mao zedong started putting out feelers 
And he started, basically, he also came to the belief that he could use America's support against the Soviet Union. So Mao Zedong, he has a journalist in China called Edgar Snow. He's an American journalist who is pretty pro-Mao. And he's kind of considered like almost a traitor to America because of how sympathetic towards Mao Zedong he is. And he's in China. Kind of like Dennis Rodman in North Korea. <laughs> you know, have, you seen, have you seen like Dennis Rodman like to speak about how good Kim Jong-un is? Yeah, and I've seen like the images of him just like hanging out. Yeah, with, with that's uh, yeah, wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Edgar Snow is kind of a, a Dennis Rod, like a more articulate, <laughs> significantly more articulate. Yeah, not as good Rodman. as a, of a rebounder, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no good in the paint. <laughs> and so Mao Zedong goes to him, and basically he's convinced that Edgar Snow is a CIA plant. And Mao Zedong is he's really paranoid at the end of his life. He thinks everyone is out to get him. And he's really worried about people trying to assassinate him. So he thinks Edgar Snow is a CIA plant. So he starts saying to Edgar Snow, how good was it that Richard Nixon won the election? Because he wants Edgar Snow to go and relay that back to America. Because he thinks he's a CIA plant. Mm. But he wasn't. Kind of. <laughs> so Edgar Snow's like, all right then. <laughs> <Thanks, mate." laughs> Have you seen episode? Two can play this game. <laughs> Have you seen the Seinfeld episode? Have you guys watched Seinfeld at all? No. I've only seen a little bit. Uh, there's one where <laughs> basically Kramer, the kind of comic relief character, above, above all comic relief characters, tells George Costanza that if he goes to a, I believe it's a glasses store and mentions Kramer's name, he'll get a discount. And so <laughs> George just rocks up. He's like, Kramer. The guy's like, yeah, I know Kramer. <laughs> I think it's, I know, it's it also, of, you saying that makes me think of, do you want to lick my Cornetto? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in between. Cornetto, in between. Do you want to lick it? Um, this man is told. No, I don't actually. I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep it PG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some school students listen to this. Yeah. Not my school students, but school students do. <clears throat> now, Edgar yeah. Snow, your school students hate it. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a joke or is that just? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they feel. <laughs> so you're just going to launch with the, the offensive. <laughs> so Edgar Snow doesn't relay it back to Mao. So they've got to find another way to try and get into communication with Mao to try and get this alliance going. So they go to a middle power. Now, America, again, they don't have an embassy in China or anything like that. So they've got no way of actually getting through to Mao in a secretive way. So they go through Pakistan. The natural choice. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So effectively what happens is Kissinger goes through Pakistan to make a secret visit in 1971. Mao's basically got a deputy called Zhou Enlai. That's all you need to know for this story. Zhou Enlai and Kissinger approve Nixon going to see Mao in 1972. This is where I really love the story. So Nixon's in, pa- in Pakistan and he's got to duck off from Pakistan for a few days to meet Mao. Mm. What's his cover story going to be? I've got diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Action for a few days. So stomach bug. It's kind of like at school when you like want to, yeah, try to like get a day off of school. Mm. What can evoke the least possible questions? (laughs) (laughs) For diarrhea. Yeah. One time I just don't feel one hundred (laughs) percent. Not all there. I'm just not me today. (laughs) One of my friends told me stories about how one time he just got one of those easily squishable bottles, and it would make the sound effect and just spray the water into the toilet bowl to convince his mum he had diarrhea. 
and he got lots of time off of school for it. Um, he's like, you can't send, you can't send me to school like this. Mm. Um, did she think about sending him to a stomach specialist? Happening <laughs> 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 so much. Yeah. Good question. Good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, didn't get the uh, yeah. the medical follow up on, on that one. But exactly right. Nixon, through his kind of diarrhea story, can basically duck over to China, and he meets with Mao Zedong, and basically Mao, Kissinger, and Zhou Enlai, and Richard Nixon are all in this big meeting together. And it's really exciting. Like this is, again, kind of think Donald Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un. Like that was really substantial for the time Mm. um, for an American leader to meet with a North Korean leader. There's kind of an even greater excitement than that around Nixon meeting Mao Zedong. One of the things I didn't mention in the build up to this, it was actually something PY pointed out in in a previous podcast yeah, I don't. What, what did I point out? <laughs> Forrest Gump touches oh, yeah. on U.S. China. Yeah, yeah. The the ping pong is that ping pong relations. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest, Forrest Gump went over and played a ping pong game against China. Exactly right. Mm. Kind of like it's like dream ping pong in Sonic and Mario yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah. They kind of say <laughs> effectively the American ping pong team is in Japan and. Kissinger's kind of over there in 1971. Kissinger's like, we've actually got the green light to have Nixon meet with Mao. But Wait, who, Kissinger's telling this to people. So he's telling this to, to Nixon. And Mao, oh, right. Mao's got... Mao's, but you meant he's telling the ping pong team. So, like. no, well, well, here we go. Okay. Mao's got the green light to basically do this. And so Mao says, hey, just come over to China for a bit. Hey, just ping pong capital of the world. Just come mm. here and um, you can play some ping pong in China. And just have a good time. Talk to the other team. And basically, the American ping pong team goes to China. Again, this is like the American football team going to... American soccer team going to North Korea to yeah. like play a friendly mm. and have some beers afterwards with the North Korean team. Like that is really substantial. Mm. So the scene is set for America and China to start opening up. At the meeting, Nixon wants to talk detail. And Kissinger wants to talk specific policy. What can we do moving forward? By this point, Mao is, I thought he would be what, maybe like, I don't know, nearly 80 or so. He's, he's only four years away from his death and he does not care about the detail at all. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's just, let's just chat. Yeah. And- everyone's vibes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm off the clock here. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the history of ping pong more. <laughs> maybe that maybe that can be I an mean, episode we do we're 23 <laughs> minutes here but we, we yeah. can change <laughs> just like how did it even become popular in america where it's a great who, question where did it start i don't know this is, these questions are too hot for this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah well too controversial <laughs> yeah who won down. who won that the games as well was it america or china oh in there yeah, very a, good question. I'm yeah. assuming China. I'd be like, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if America won, that's just like it feels like more than a just a ping pong victory, mm. a victory for the nation. Yeah. But they weren't real. Like whoever won, I think it was a victory, right? The victory was already won by them. Ping pong hanging out together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too right, too right. Um, but yeah, like it's it's mm. it's really significant. Basically, all the agreements that really come to, that get made. The Americans agree to stop having the CIA back rebels in Tibet. So Tibet, think of Southwest China. They want independence from China. They view themselves as independent. Um, A lot of the world views them as independent from China. And the CIA was supporting the Tibet, like Tibetan rebels in trying to destabilize China. 
So they're like, okay, we'll kind of stop doing that. It's kind of like minimum standards for mm. diplomacy. We'll stop. <laughs> yeah. We'll just stop actively fighting against you. Yeah. <laughs> the Chinese basically agree to kind of have a more open relationship with America. There was some talk about having Chinese soldiers fight on the behalf of the Americans in the back end of the Vietnam War. That doesn't really eventuate. But the big one is America kind of agrees to something called the Shanghai Communique. Now, Again, French is the language of diplomacy. So that's why basically it just means Shanghai Declaration. Essentially, there was an agreement that there's kind of right China and left China or East China and West China. Mm. Basically saying both of them are China. So both Taiwan and the PRC are China. So Taiwan is is right China? Yeah. Like yeah, they're, they're using, I'm just East using China? Terms. Yeah. I'm just using those terms. That's not the official terms that we use. Right. So you're just saying China and Taiwan are just all China. Yes. That's, that's what you're saying. Exactly. Yep. And that is basically the, the kind of policy that becomes really important. Mm. And this is why Keating was kind of piping up the other day. He was like, let's not go to war over Taiwan because it's a civil matter. We have said both of these are China. We've said Taiwan is China and we've said the PRC is China. So this is a civil war. We should not be getting involved should the PRC invade Taiwan? That was his argument that he was making. And he goes back to the Shanghai communique. It's like, this is what America's position was at the start. And this is what the position is that we've maintained ever since. And that is a really important moment of diplomacy. Really? So is America's current position that Taiwan is China? Yes. Okay. But the way they act would say otherwise. Mm. So it was your assumption that they viewed Taiwan as independent? Yeah, I sort of just thought a lot of the free world thought that way. Like a lot of the Western world. And you are like, that is a, such a fair assumption because of things like Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan. Mm. Like it's like, but the official policy is like Trump rocked the world when he picked up a phone call from the president of Taiwan. When he, we'll come on to that next week. That's the next in our two-parter series. But yeah, the official position is that there's one China. That's so interesting. Yeah. You would never know that unless you looked at the history. That is the official position of the USA and of the Western world. Mm. And so, um, actually, so Gough Whitlam, um, one of the interesting things about his foreign policy is Gough Whitlam jumped the gun and he started opening up relations with China back in 71. And the Liberal Party, like he was opposition leader at the time, and the Liberals were in power. And Gough was like, hey, if I get elected in, we need to talk because we want to get on good relations. Liberal Party slammed him for that. They were like, you sell out, you hate, you love communism, you hate the Western world. Mm. And then the next year, Nixon goes, rocks up, does the secret <laughs> meeting, and God will have, plays the Uno reverse card. <laughs> he was like, you hate the West. I want to win the Cold War. <laughs> I saw where we were going. The other interesting thing as well is in 1971, Chiang Kai-shek's KMT gets booted out of the United Nations and the PRC becomes the, the delegates for China. Richard Nixon is, this is before his secret meet, like this is before his meeting, He's got to pretend that he's upset with this. And it really reminds me of the scene in when Obi-Wan gets captured in Attack of the Clones and Count Dooku walks in. You know when he's held in that like like Incredibles thing where he's, he's yeah. basically held in that yeah. rotating. Yes. Yes, I do. And Dooku walks in. He's like, my lord. I was like, Obi-Wan. Oh, no, this is a huge mistake. This couldn't have happened. And he sounds <laughs> so insincere. <laughs> that was basically Richard Nixon when... Yeah, yeah. When they got booted out of the UN. The other really interesting thing is what has America got to do to Mao Zedong's image now? They've got to build it up. Yeah. It's previously been tarnished. Exactly. 
And so again, literally imagine like I'll use keep using Kim Jong Un as the comparison. So imagine Biden and Kim Jong Un have like a, just a, a you know, nice game of handball together. They're working yeah. out, and now they're now they're maybe friends. like like a, an all right guy. maybe Mao Zedong like photo shoot with some puppies. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> I think that that win some hearts. I feel they kind of brand him as like your your racist grandfather in a sense that like oh he say he says he's of a different time he's of a different culture mm. he'll say some stuff that's you know a little bit like or you know yeah, we're, not, but, we're not really supportive but, of that but he means well yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's a product of his time <laughs> and that's kind of the way that they completely changed Mao Zedong's image because before it was mass murderer killing tens of millions of Chinese now it's ah uh, he he has different beliefs he's misunderstood to us. he's misunderstood like. There's more to the man. He's a grandfatherly <laughs> figure. <laughs> There's more to Mao. And so, yeah, Mao really gets a rehabilitated image. And Nixon does that in 72. What ends up happening to Nixon? Oh, is that... Is Nixon Watergate? He's Watergate. Yeah. So he goes, Gerald Ford comes in and talks pretty much kind of stall for a couple so of when, years. So when was Watergate? 74. Okay. And so that's... By this point, him and Mao are like their mates, but Mao's still building up his image... In the US. And Mao doesn't really care about governing China anymore. Yeah. He's, he's care, he cares about protecting his power, but honestly, he his finger is so far off the pulse with running China. It's pretty much Zhou Enlai who's running China. Yeah. And Zhou Enlai is also... So I don't know if I mentioned this about Mao. The Politburo have had this kind of twisted, tradi- twisted tradition where the chairman has to sign off on medical treatment. So Zhou Enlai, he was the, the kind of deputy, the premier of the state council... He had pancreatic cancer or bladder cancer. It was either pancreatic or bladder, one of the cancers. And Mao denied his treatment because Joe and Lai was a threat to him. And so Mao is basically like, if I'm going, you're going out at the same time as me. And he was really protective of his power. And he then appointed a dude called Hua Guafeng to be a successor when Mao died. And so 76, both countries have two new leaders. Hua Guafeng is the technical leader of China. Mm. And Gerald Ford, Nixon's kind of temporary replacement, lost the election to Jimmy Carter. And so we've got two new leaders. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It is. Sir, we're ready to deploy fire against Taiwan. Back away. It appears President Reagan wants to support Taiwan. What a fool. Don't worry, General Grievous. This is all part of the plan. We are about to become so rich that one would have to support the PRC. So, Hua Guafeng, have you ever heard of this guy? No. no. But what's his first name? Hua. 
So it's hua 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 guafeng hua gua hua guafeng. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm going is that no one knows this guy because he yep. actually didn't survive his political career after Mao died. So he's the new leader and mm. he's the technical new leader. But basically, this could be a podcast topic for another day. He loses numbers in the Politburo to a guy called Deng Xiaoping. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. So Deng Xiaoping's pretty pretty significant. And over time, he slowly grows to have power within the Politburo. It's a lot more technical than that. I've got a few videos on that topic, but that's the, the long story short. Is Deng Xiaoping slowly ousts Hua Guafeng. As a last-ditch effort from Hua Guafeng to kind of keep his power, he gets his hair cut to look like Mao. As <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a legitimate successor. Mao's a dog. It's like when the English football team bleached their hair to be like, when Phil Foden bleached his hair to be like Gaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Trying to repeat the Euro 96. Interesting. It didn't really work for him. No, unfortunately, people saw through that. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Those are some clever people. (laughs) What kind of haircut was it? Do you know, like, Meow's the dog hair? It's not a good haircut of like the, like, like, kind of toad from Mario Kart. The, like. Oh, it's like a, like a. Shroom kind yeah, of Yeah, kind of like. a huge shroom, but like more like definition. A, like those what? kind of like the TikTok boys with the shaved sides and then the big curly bit on top or Yeah, like- no no no. So it's not it's not shaved along the sides. Yeah. It's kind of like it's just like a right angle uh, kind of like a right angle triangle is his <laughs> head on each side. <laughs> oh, what's gonna, the uh, what's I'm the look trapezium? Up is that a photo? Yeah, yeah, trapezium yeah. makes sense. So is a trape his hair's like a trapezium. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, pe- pe- like look it up. Have Mao Zedong haircut. <laughs> Really? No, no, oh, wait, oh, yeah, we want Mao's, don't we? We want. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's not many photos of Hua Guafeng. Yeah. I also I did have a look into the. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of he's kind of balding, a bit. Uh yeah, yeah. I see what you yeah. mean. So like the big bold part at the front, and yeah. then the sides mm. really like sort of stick out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like wherever the hair would gather, it's. Like obviously his sides are the parts that are. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's got the Ashley and Martin on, him, so he's um. <laughs> So my four, <laughs> just when Googling Mao Zedong, um, the fourth recommended is Mao Zedong John Cena. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, I'm going to click it. Bing chilling. <laughs> oh, they're saying John Cena looks like Mao Zedong. Oh, no, it's, the, uh, it's, it's the, that the meme John where, Cena. where, yeah, John Cena. What did he, he was just sort of like John Gina. somewhat pro-China, right? I think. Oh, so he, he said a he initially said a pro Taiwanese comment, then he really walked it back and yeah, was, and like apologized in Mandarin. Yes, yep, yep. And so yeah, people have called him John Sheena. John Sheena. Yeah, yeah, cool. So anyway, Hua Guafeng doesn't survive as the, as the heir apparent to Mao Zedong, and there's a guy called Deng Xiaoping who comes back. And Deng Xiaoping he was actually exiled by Mao Zedong on two occasions beforehand, and like guess who's back? Mm. Deng Xiaoping, effectively what happens, one of the huge mistakes that Hua Guafeng makes from a purely Machiavellian point of view is Hua Guafeng allows all those who were exiled by Mao Zedong in the Cultural Revolution to come back. And so he kind of sees it as an act of charity. They're going to be supportive of me because I'm allowing allowing them to come back. But they're like, no, you're Mao's successor. Mao chose you. We want this guy. We want Deng Xiaoping. And so Deng Xiaoping grows to have power within the party. Now... Jimmy Carter, we've spoken about him before, I think on two previous podcasts. He has a very unfortunate legacy. People aren't too fond of him. He generally, like, people view, people view assumption of his presidency is that he was a nice guy, but not up to the job. 
that was kind mm. of the kind of the way they spoke about Albo before he won. Remember? Like there was like yeah, two months of yeah. like Anthony Albanese is a nice guy, but I don't know why I'm doing his way. <laughs> <laughs> but is he but is he up to the job? Mm. That was kind of that's the perception of Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's one of my favourite presidents. Okay. I take that personally when, when people say that. Yeah. He was a nice man. And for me, on an international scale at least, he was a fantastic president. Now, Jimmy Carter, he sees where the tide is going and he sees just how important it is to have China as an ally. He's a big believer in Indoton. So he's not really looking to kind of raise any more tension with the Soviet Union, but he's really keen on building upon that growing relationship with China that had begun under Nixon. So Jimmy Carter is like basically same problem as Nixon. The kind of lobby group in Congress and these weapons manufacturers, because America's not at a point where they're going to give the PRC weapons. They're not allies yet, mm. but they want to have economic cooperation. The kind of weapons manufacturers are really annoyed at Nixon and they are really clear to Carter that you don't do what Nixon did. We are pro-Taiwan. Mm. Now, Carter's got to find a way of how can he subtly actually get the PRC to kind of create more cooperation and can he beat Congress to do it? Because if Congress gets wind of it, they'll pass a pro-Taiwan law. Yeah. And that's not what Carter wants. Does he uh, Does he get the diarrhea out again? <laughs> well, he's a man of too much class for that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. It would have been... <laughs> oh, I've also got... <laughs> In Pakistan. Again, why do we keep well, going back here? <laughs> I mean, like I say that jokingly, now that I think about it, Given the food content, like True, any, given yeah. the, the diet of Pakistani people, yeah. Jimmy Carter doesn't pull a Richard Nixon, but he does send his Secretary of State, Cyrus Vance, not to be confused <laughs> with Bob Vance, to suss out the- I was thinking more Cyrus, Cyrus. From, from Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yippee. Well, warm up. <laughs> yes. Not to be confused with Rex and Toy Story, as Cyrus is voicing him. So Carter- basically sends Cyrus Vance to go and suss out. And he's like, can we just put out feelers and see if we can get some deals done? (laughs) (laughs) He also sends um, his national security advisor. He's got a name called Zbigniew Brzezinski. That's his name. Mm. And he goes and also tries to suss out what's going on. As he's doing this, Congress is passing laws to give weapons to Taiwan. And Deng Xiaoping is really angry at this it's kind of like bro i thought we were friends Mm. i thought we wanted to be friends what are you doing like Mm. you can't go give you can't say you want relations with us and go and give all these weapons to taiwan because that's our land we want to like that's Mm. we view that as prc territory you can't go and arm rebels basically is what he's saying and so effectively carter kind of stalls tries to get stuff done he's also battling congress as well because he opens the panama canal that we spoke about in a previous Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. Congress doesn't want him to do that. So he's kind of got to pick his battles with Congress and try and get it done. But he really wants to open up relations with the PRC and he's got to find a way that he can do this really subtly. So effectively, he goes to... He doesn't go himself, but he sends his guys out and they kind of speak with Deng Xiaoping. Deng Xiaoping is still really angry, but Deng Xiaoping's like, look, if you can back off supplying Taiwan Mm -hmm. and... I mean, you don't even have to recognize us as the rightful leaders of China and them as the rebels. We don't need you to do any of that, though we would like you to do that. Can you just not supply them with weapons? Yeah. And can you limit the supply of weapons that you give to Taiwan? 
Khan why did like, he why did he do it initially again? Why did he supply the weapons to Taiwan? Well, Carter didn't. Was... It was Congress. Okay. And they have all the weapons manufacturers that are kind of donating money to their campaigns. So they're, they're kind of the, just a lobby groups. Mm. Kind of they give money to political candidates and make donations. Okay. And in return, they get some degree of influence over that candidate. They're like the money and finance, it's a, it's a really messy situation in America. And so these weapon manufacturers that want to sell all their jets to Taiwan... They are really keen on Congress to keep recognizing Taiwan as the rightful China. For money. Yes. Okay. So there's no like moral or ethical. They would say otherwise, but yeah. Yeah. Like that's unfortunately, that's a lot of warfare as well. Okay. Like you look at the war on terror, Mm. weapons manufacturing groups in America got huge contracts to kind of build up America's military. Mm. So if you're a weapons manufacturer, you always have an interest in there being war. That's kind of the catch-22. Okay. I'm so, th- yeah, like Tony Stark, Iron Man. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> just like that. <laughs> As always, it's not people- really like that. But <laughs> <laughs> just think about, yeah, that scene where he's like... I forget what he said. So <laughs> Is that the one when he's talking to the journalist? Yeah, talking to the journalist. Yeah. <sighs> As always, I PYD his- coding complex phenomena for, <laughs> for the common man. I just remember his like the sleazy kind of yeah, ending it, line of that. It comes up on like your YouTube shorts. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, that's <laughs> exactly where I've seen it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like at about him. Like, do you pieces have a sleep over? Yeah, kind of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. pieces having a bigger stick than the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, at the, at the end of 1978, a lot of talks have gone on, and they're pretty much at a point where Deng Xiaoping has got them to pretty much say, hey, you kind of pick one. You don't have to say they're a rebel group. You don't have to actively support us in suppressing the Republic of China, which is Taiwan. That's that's the technical name for, for Taiwan. You don't actually have to support us in doing that. But if you take your embassy out of Taiwan and give us diplomatic recognition... And when all you when you do your China talks and you're discussing China policy, you come to us rather than to them. We're happy with that. And we again, we'll do trade deals. We'll kind of do all sorts of. You can have your businesses come to China. We've got a population of kind of pushing at that point to one billion. You can do all of that. It's great for your business interests as long as you recognize us and not Taiwan as the rightful leaders of China. You don't have to do anything to Taiwan. You don't need to support them in a. You don't need to support us against them in in a war or anything like that. Just when we are talking about China, you recognize us as the UN has now as the leaders of China rather than them. Carter's like Dale. And so on the 1st of January, 1979, Carter announces that they're switching diplomatic recognition from Taiwan to the PRC. And Taiwan is furious Mm. because that's their security. America was their kind of ace, ace of spades that they had that... No matter what the PRC could do, they had America's backing. Mm. And they were this kind of propped up American state that was safe. Now they're not. And so Taiwan starts to get really panicky. Anyway, Carter loses the election in 1980. No, he replaces Carter. Is no. this Bush? Close. Uh, Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan. Is <laughs> <laughs> that that family episode where he's in the radio talking to Peter? I think so, Yeah. <laughs> So Reagan effectively campaigns on a really pro-Taiwan policy. And he's like, 
nah, we actually need to, we need to back Taiwan. And very interestingly, he's like, yeah, Carter's, effectively Reagan's argument is Carter's a soy boy. So he backed down. So he's a fan of detente. We want to beat the Soviets. This is America we're talking about. We're not Switzerland. We win wars. We don't, we don't, we don't stay out of them. We're not cowards. We don't stay on the side. Like that's kind of his like, yeah. his, his language at the time. And he's also like Carter stabbed Taiwan in the back. And that's, that's what Reagan is saying. So China's really worried if Reagan wins the election. Now Reagan's vice president was George H.W. Bush. Mm. And so Bush used to be head of the liaison office in China. They weren't quite at embassy level yet. But in the, in the mid-70s, Bush was kind of the, the go-between between America and China. So kind of, yeah, head, head of the liaison office. Bush goes to Deng Xiaoping and he's like, dude, it's all good. Chill out. He's just saying what he needs to say to get elected. Don't worry. We definitely don't recognize Taiwan as an independent country. We are on your side here. Just like chill. As he is over there in the same time as he's giving that meeting, Ronald Reagan's like, we recognize the independence of Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) Really reminds me of that scene in The Office UK when David Brent's doing the audit on or the uh, examination on Keith. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, no, no. When Gareth is doing the examination on Keith as to whether Keith knew about it. (laughs) Do you know who printed the photos? Yes. I mean, no. (laughs) Wait, before you said no, you said yeah. <laughs> so exactly right. And Reagan comes in and Reagan's like, no, nah, we're, we're going we're gonna to back Taiwan. And then all the lobbyists are like, yes, like this is our guy. And Reagan sweeps the victory in 1980. Now, China had just set up a US ambassador that was kind of functional. And China said, if the Taiwanese ambassador is also there, so Republic of China is what Taiwan calls himself, if they are also there, we are going to withdraw our ambassador. And so eventually the Taiwanese ambassador backs down and doesn't go and... Doesn't go where, sorry? To Reagan's inauguration, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't clarify that. So things are still pretty tense going into Reagan's time in office. And it does seem as though Reagan might undo a lot of the reforms that Carter has put in. But the 1980s is China's golden era. And they put all these economic reforms in that massively transform their economy and make it wealthy. First thing Deng Xiaoping does is he sets up special economic zones. Effectively, these are areas of China where the rules are different, where they don't have to follow communism. So, Interesting. Yeah. So he calls these special ones like Shenzhen, eventually like Shanghai, Guangzhou, where are the rich parts of China? Well, they're first places to get special economic zones. And he does things like um, huge tax breaks, government subsidies. He basically makes these areas really good for business Mm. and really good for foreign business to come in and to set up shop. Now you can't do this because to do it to all of China at once, that'd be doing shock therapy. Yeah. That'd be doing what Boris Yeltsin did as we saw two weeks ago in the Russia episode. So Deng Xiaoping does a much more moderated kind of reform. Yeah. Pretty clever. And effectively what happens is if you're McDonald's and you've got these really good business conditions in Shanghai, you go and put a Macca's in Shanghai. Mm. If you are a, if you're General Motors and there's really cheap labor that you can use in China and you get really good tax rates, you can make a General Motors plant in China. And so all these foreign businesses start putting money into China, which means China is getting everyone's money coming into their country. Mm. That's probably the biggest economic reform that Deng Xiaoping made. 
There are a couple of others. He got loans from the IMF and he reformed the agriculture system so that people who produce more got paid more and tried to create some incentive structures to encourage more agricultural produce as well. Mm-hmm. But I think the special economic zones are the main reason as to why China went in the 1980s and massively grew. I remember like, I think I was in like year one or something and I remember we were like looking around and it was like just as we were uncovering that like every object we had in the classroom said made in China. And we were like, what? <laughs> what is this place? Um, and we'd see one that was like made in New Zealand or something. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is insane. This <laughs> is unbelievable. Yeah. 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 In preschool, like you used to think you'd be able to dig there. True. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder what KFC is like in China. The, the, the people, this is why we have asking the big questions <laughs> <laughs> the mainstream media won't cover are they um yeah like what's the value are there zingers <laughs> zinger burger yeah <laughs> it had to be made do they do they know like is that America's like top secret like the 11 secret herbs and spices do they know that it could do be a national security yeah. threat to <laughs> release that to the Chinese yeah so basically China's become really rich in the... Not really rich, but significantly more rich in the 1980s. Hundreds of millions of people are being lifted out of poverty. That's insane. Mm. Like Paul Keating's point is the rise of China has meant half a million people have been left out of poverty. What would you rather? Have them not be powerful and have like half a million people like in poverty. Mm. You got you, Basically, you've got two choices here. You can't have an economically powerful nation that is not militarily powerful as well. That's the size of China that has that many borders to police right in the center of the world. You just cannot have those two things together. And so China grows massively in terms of its its economic output. And now it is really unprofitable for America to not have good relations with the Chinese. It's pretty essential for, for Reagan to have. And so effectively they come up with a, like Deng Xiaoping comes up with a nine point plan and he says, hey, if Taiwan cedes sovereignty to us, we will let them keep their own army and they can keep capitalism there. If they cede sovereignty to us and recognize us as the leaders of China, Taiwan rejects that. And that could have been a really pivotal moment in world history yeah. had Taiwan accepted that. Potentially, World War III might have been averted at that point. Mm. So, I like your implication that World War III has occurred. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. And it's looking pretty grim, mm. to be honest. You reckon? It's just two, it's two superpowers that aren't backing down against each other. Mm. You need one of them to make concessions. And as China's growing in, powerful, in power, Keating described them as being in their teenage years of diplomacy, very bulldoggy. But America's also being extremely bulldoggy with things like AUKUS. And again, like think about, look at, you look at a map of China, they're just completely surrounded by US military bases. And you're like, well, China wants to expand it to the South China Sea. That's terrible. It's like, yeah, but you've already expanded across the whole world. And mm. China just wants to be able to police it. So as they've said, you, you know, you can take it with a grain of salt or whatever. They just want to be able to police their own borders and police their own backyard. And they can't do that because America has effective control of the South China Sea. Mm. And so you're like, again, imagine if China had control of the Atlantic Ocean. Like, yeah. that's... And again, if they're not going to make concessions, it's not good. But we, we'll cover that in next week's podcast yep. in the okay. two-parter as well. So anyway, long story short, the US Congress keeps shipping stuff to Taiwan. Deng Xiaoping's really annoyed. 
as kind of an example, when the Netherlands shipped Taiwan two submarines, so Netherlands gave them two subs, China broke off relations with the Netherlands. Wow. Yeah. So And they want to make an example out of them to say to America, this is what we're going to do to you should you do the same thing. Now, Reagan kind of ends his presidency with relations much better than when he started. And Reagan's hands kind of are tied here because China's just too economically profitable to not have good relations with. So we've also got the other factor of Margaret Thatcher. What's Britain's stake in China? It's in the crown. Well, you've lost me. (laughs) I don't know. Hong Kong. Mm, Yes, of course. Oh, Hong Kong. (laughs) And effectively... Uh, Deng Xiaoping talks Margaret Thatcher. So again, the British had Hong Kong on a 150-year lease scheduled to mm. end in 1997. And Charles was there. Charles was there. When it ended. Yes, on that rainy night mm. in... <laughs> yes. So that's kind of... It was the 150-year lease that the Chinese had it on... Uh, that the British had it on from China. And Deng Xiaoping is like, you are getting out of here, right? Like, you are going to honour the lease. And Thatcher at first was kind of like, oh, yeah. So you're kind of playing hardball negotiations. Let's see where we can get. And Deng Xiaoping's like, no, you're getting out of here. Like, come on, this is Chinese land. And Thatcher actually gives in. And Thatcher lets the Chinese have Hong Kong. And sure enough, 1997 comes around and the British get out of Hong Kong. Hmm. And so now it's really clear by the end of the 1980s, China is a real power. They're not economically, they're still a long way off being what they are today. But... They're recognized by America. The British gave them Hong Kong. The PRC is now a real international force that has prestige across the world and has recognition across the world. Reagan's two terms are up. He leaves office. George H.W. Bush comes in and you'd think, okay, this is perfect, right? This is the guy that used to be the liaison officer in China. He knows the Chinese very well. He has good relations with Deng Xiaoping. And so it's looking really great by 1989. 1989 is not a good year in Chinese history. And yes is why. That, was, that wasn't that was Tiananmen Square, was it? Tiananmen Square. Yeah, okay. And Wait, Bush. but what, what's Tiananmen Square? <laughs> 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 what happened then? <laughs> Sorry, that was insensitive. Um, yes, 89, Tiananmen Square. Yeah, Tiananmen Square massacre and happens. International condemnation of China for doing so. Tiananmen Square is its own topic. There's more to it. Like there is more to it than just the Chinese sent tanks in and started shooting up people protesting on the streets mm. there, like there was mo- much more that went happened that happened in the build-up to it topic for another day george hw bush is now in a really sticky situation because the world has condemned china there is mass there are mass protests against china and he was kind of hoping to kind of create all these good relations with china and continue the relationship but now the world's saying you got to take action what are you going to do We'll find out what Bush does next week as we look at the second part in this two-part series. What a cliffhanger. Wow. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So uh, to wrap up, KFC was the first American fast food store (laughs) in China in 1987. There was often protests there. um, In China? Yes, I think so. When like I don't know, there was something about uh, a bomb, a mistaken bombing of the Chinese embassy. So they went and like kind of stormed to the KFC store <laughs> in China. Um, yeah, that's what Wikipedia that's said. That's so cool. And, that's, um, their, that's their January sixth moment. Is <laughs> like imagine you're like some like seventeen year old that's just clocked in <laughs> and you get get stormed. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I might have inferred a little bit then. <laughs> um, and the ping pong one does really interest me because I just love how sport can unite people. <laughs> and uh, apparently China took it easy on America. And there was uh. actually, I couldn't find a result because they were labeled friendship matches. But it sounds like China took it easy on them and smashed them. So I kind of like that. Um, that dynamic there going on. Like a, a younger brother. <laughs> yeah. You might have the nukes. Mm. We, we got you on the court. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have definitely, like it would have, would have hurt the, uh, the psyche a little bit. The, of the Americans? Yeah. Or, mm, I think yeah. so. Thank Yeah. That's, that's a good wrap up. I feel. Uh, an oh. even bigger cliffhanger than Tiananmen Square is <laughs> what will happen when we do the ping pong to, <laughs> podcast yeah yeah what happened on those courts in, yeah really perhaps we'll mm. never know um, <laughs> Twenty thousand people attended as well wow. in uh should Beijing. we get, get one of them on the pod perhaps? sold out <laughs> no it doesn't matter shark. like that's a sharks game at capacity <laughs> <laughs> yeah but around a ping pong court that'd be yeah actually, that's that's a fair point, fair a, point. A, <laughs> a cauldron <laughs> a lot of nosebleeds for <laughs> we'll see you next week <laughs>